We gather in pursuit of a deeper gratitude to offer from the deepest places our deepest thanks. Now, I'm going to invite us to offer our thanks, but first I'm going to go call out uh, my sister here. So this is me walking back. So I don't know. See, I told you I might better behave. I don't know your name. Camille. Camille. Do you all know Camille? Camille? I noticed when Camille came in this morning, you can stand up if you want, but you don't have to, that she has this great pen. If you haven't seen it, you need to see Camille's pen. It says, give thanks. I thought that was perfect, Camille. That's what we want to do is give thanks. So uh, extra bonus points if you wear a pen that says give thanks. We respond with great uh, thanksgiving for the gift of God, for his love that endures forever. And that's your part, to proclaim and declare that his love endures forever. Yes, and so I know we've been standing a lot, but I'm going to invite you to stand and make that declaration with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. We thank you, O God, for your love that endures forever and ever. We pray that we would never lose sight of your love that is all-encompassing, that you, O God, created and hold and sustain all things in your hands, and we are deeply grateful. Would you draw us more deeply into our love for you? as we receive um, that promise of your unconditional, never-ending love. And bless our time together as we reflect upon who you are as revealed to us in your word and who you have made us to be by your grace and by your mercy and in the power of your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. We give thanks. I mean, look around. What do you see when you look around? What do you see? Have you ever seen something and it's so compelling, so striking, so moving that you can't forget it? You ever seen something like that? So striking, so moving, so compelling. Sometimes it may be something very ordinary, but it comes to you in an extraordinary moment and you can't forget it. Sometimes it's maybe it's in the middle of the ordinary stuff of life, the ordinary routine of life, and it's something that comes, you least expect it, you could never have imagined it, even if you had stopped and tried to think it up, you could never have imagined it, but it comes and you see it, you glimpse it in the moment, and you can't forget it. Have you ever had something like that? It kind of stays with you, it travels with you, and though you may forget it momentarily, it comes back to you over and over and over again. You have moments like that? Look around. I mean, literally, look around. What do you see? What do you think this is? Anyway, this thing, family, Art says. Do we have any idea what God has done and is doing in us, in you, in me, in each other, in the space between us, connected by the Spirit of God? Do we have any idea what God has knit together in community? When Paul writes these words shared with us from the book of Colossians this morning's this morning, he's not just offering up some new instruction. I, I need to make sure, Paul, uh, we think that Paul maybe just sits down to say that I, I need to make sure that they get this point. And so I'm going to write this out to them and send this sort of missive off so that they get the instruction down, so that they get it right. It's not just teaching. 
I would suggest to you that when we hear these words of Paul in Colossians, in the first chapter, and then these that we've heard in the third chapter, what we're getting a glimpse of is something, not that Paul cognitively necessarily just comes out of his brain, but something that he's seen, something he's caught a glimpse of. God's work fully revealed in Jesus. From the beginning of time, from the creation of time, what God in his fullness has been, has been working towards, he's caught a glimpse of it and he can't forget it. And he doesn't want them to forget it. More importantly, he doesn't want them to not miss the thing that God has done and is doing. It's the work of God fully revealed in Jesus being worked out, completed, fulfilled in us. Now, I know that there's a sense, those of you good Bible students, church attending Bible students will say that the work has been completely done, finished, fulfilled in Jesus. It's nailed to the cross and it walked out of the tomb and that work is done. And yet, Paul says, look around. Can't you see that what God has revealed in Jesus is now being worked out? It's being represented. It's being drawn forward in the world in you and who the people of God are. It's no wonder that he writes words like this. Listen, this is from Colossians 3. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, that's a pretty good list. If you're looking for a list to write down and tack on the wall, put on the refrigerator at home, start with Colossians 3.12. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms to God. And whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The context of this thankfulness, this gratitude, is what God has done in Jesus that's now being worked out, displayed through us, us together. He caught a glimpse of it, Paul did. And he wants us to see it too and give thanks. The deep gratitude we embrace today is the gift of life in community, together, together. Can you see it? You just look around the room and think, well, that's an interesting group of people. I, I guess this is okay. <laughs> Not sure. And Paul says, oh, but look again. Look again. Because God's work in the world, displayed in the image of Jesus, he's now placed in the world in you, in us. Collectively, I saw it once, once. It wasn't um, directly from the words Paul pens in Colossians or Ephesians where he prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may see every spiritual thing, that prayer that Paul prays. It wasn't there, although I had been trained to look for it because I'd heard those words, and you've heard them too. 
But I, I found uh, that glimpse, I received that glimpse of what God might be up to through the words written by a woman named Elizabeth O'Connor. I stumbled across this book. Someone referenced it in a book review in a journal I was reading back in the mid to late 90s. Yes, I was reading books that long ago. And I thought, I've got to get a copy of this just from the description. The title of the book is Call to Commitment. This is the book. But it was the subtitle that really captured my imagination. The subtitle of the book is An Attempt to Embody the Essence of Church. An Attempt to Embody the Essence of Church. And I was curious, not because I didn't know church or hadn't been to church. I'll tell you, I was raised up in church every time the doors were open. And back then, they were open a lot. And everybody just went Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon for youth stuff, Sunday evening, after Sunday night church for Devo, Wednesday night, and then there were the gospel meetings. Remember those? So it wasn't that I didn't know something of church, hadn't experienced something of church. It was something God had placed in me, was curious about something deeper still, an attempt to embody the essence of church. And I began to read this book, and I've got to tell you, that it's as marked up as any book that I own. There are, I don't know if you can tell, there are coffee stains all over this thing. It's got, uh, it's marked up with multiple different colors of highlighters and pencil and pages are dog-eared all the way through. It is maybe the most significant book I've read in my adult life. And I've read a few books, scholarly books and all that kind of stuff. But this one, this one has stood the test of time. And so I'm sharing this with you because I think that The Word of God today is inviting us to look again at who we are. Look again at at what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the people of God, to be in community with each other. And Elizabeth O'Connor, as she began to tell the story of this fledgling group of people who formed together around these instincts to desire a deeper life in God, she began to write about things of a, a life of deep commitment to Jesus, only known by offering ourselves more completely and more fully to each other. She was tying those things together, saying that, look, this is no solo mission for you. As much as we want to use language about our own personal salvation, it's not personal at all or just personal. But she said, if you wanted to know a deeper life in Christ, you actually have to enter more deeply into life with each other. And I was compelled. I want to know that. I want to know beyond uh, our greetings and our acquaintances and the time that we spend together in a room like this, worshiping together, which is so meaningful and powerful and important. I want to know a deeper life in relationship in relationships infused with the Spirit of God, in life shared together in the depths. And she began to describe the church's life as sort of a a holy, wild adventure of risk and risk-taking, and that we could do that. We could reimagine our life together and step out in the name of Jesus because God has already given us all that we need. He's filled us with His Spirit, empowered us, leads us forward. We already have all that we need. We can be adventurous and risk-taking, and we don't need to be afraid. And we can embrace new forms and experiments of what it means to live out the life of Jesus in the world. It's okay, she said. They were convinced of this. She spoke about a glimpse of depth in community so that the presence of Christ could make us whole. 
in ways only possible in the space between us. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. She spoke about a depth of community so that the presence of Christ could make us whole in ways possible in the space between us so that we might be our most true, most whole, authentic selves. I'm just going to read this. You're going to have to bear with me because I I could literally stand up here through lunch just reading you quotes out of the book, but I won't. You probably wouldn't appreciate that with your chicken. She writes, one binding, unifying vision held us together. It was to be a place where the lives of everybody who touched it could become more deeply rooted in the life of God. Here, wounds would be exposed and healed by Christ's love. Here, we would work and pray and play together. Here, the loved and the unloved would be equally welcome. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want a copy? They're out of print, so good luck finding it. Um, It was a compelling vision. It was like she was inviting us, just as Paul writing to the Colossians, to catch a glimpse of something that God is doing, this grand thing that's unfolding in all of human history, coming to culmination and most visibly and tangibly present in Jesus, but being worked out, played out in you and me and us. It's profound, I'm telling you. I caught a glimpse of that, and I could not look away. And so I turned to my wife after I first got a copy of this book, and I, we were um, living in North Texas at the time, and we were driving all the way down to Bernie. That's a long drive. Texas is a big state. And I said, you drive, I'll read. She's not a big reader, so it's better if she hears it. So she drove, and I was literally flipping through the book, reading it to her, and marking it again, and then going back and reading all the sections. And we were having this conversation, and our girls who were very little at the time were asleep in the back. And then on the way home, again, when you catch a glimpse of it and you can't look away, it's got you. I said, we have to pursue this. We have to pursue this. It's not enough to just be a member of a church or even the preacher of a church. We have to pursue this deeper life between us in order to know the life of God more fully. And so I said, not knowing what else to say, what if we just picked a few other people and invited them to walk with us, and we'll all read through this together, and we'll all pray together and see what God would speak to us. And so we did. We chose four other couples we already had some relationship with. We chose wisely, I would say, all these years later. We chose very wisely. God's blessing, God's leading. We chose an older, wiser couple who had years down the road ahead of us. Dr. Wagner and Mrs. Wagner. We chose a couple that was about our age. We chose two couples that were between us and Wagners. There were five couples at various stages of life, many of us, though, with small children. And we met every week to read through this book and pray. And the journey has literally been God's grace to transform our lives. There has not been a moment, there has not been. an occasion where we have not shared life in the Spirit together, and we don't go to the same church anymore. It's been 20-something plus years of sharing life together. We've shared um, time together, summer after summer, a week together in the Rocky Mountains. Our children grew up spending time together in the Rocky Mountains, and now they have children 
and they say, can we all come? We've shared time together around holiday tables. Every holiday, we'd gather together. We've shared in the weddings of our children, each of them as if they were our own. We've welcomed grandchildren. All of these things we've shared. We've sat in moments of praise together. This group can sing, y'all. They can sing. Just happened that way. We've sang together, and some of the most powerful moments of experiencing God have been not when we've sang in front of large groups of people. We've done plenty of that, but when we've sat just with us in the evening, singing and singing and singing and knowing God's presence in the music. We've shared the deepest losses. Not long ago, we gathered around Hulse in his last days, Dr. Wagner. This is his hat. I inherited. And so I, I brought it in his memory. We've wept with each other in loss. And then three weeks ago on Sunday night, when one of us, uh, my friend Wendell, arrived in Bernie, came for a couple of days visit with his cousins to see other family members who live down here in the hill country. And so he came and they got in about eight o'clock on Sunday night. And when he got there, he said, I've got to check on Laura. Laura is his wife. She's been feeling really, really bad, and she called the doctor, and they have an appointment. They think it might be her gallbladder, and, but it sounds like it's getting worse. And then an hour later, he said, she's at the emergency room. He said, I knew I shouldn't have come, second-guessing himself, as any of us would. By um, an hour later than that, they had run some tests, and they had ruled out the gallbladder and all these other things, and they were now saying to him at about 10 o'clock, this is presenting as ovarian cancer. And we had already begun to wind down for the evening, and I was in the back, and he was in, the, in my room, and he was in the living room, and we could hear him sobbing. And we went and sat with him, prayed together, and I said, we've got to get you home. He didn't have a car. He had rode with others down, and he didn't have a car. And so by 11 o'clock, we had hopped in my pickup, and we set out to return, headed north. We got to um, Granbury, where he had left his car. At about 3.30 a.m., we drove through the long, dark hours of the night, sometimes in silence, sometimes uh, with him answering a call from his son who was with his wife. And when he talked to his son, he spoke with clarity and energy and hope, but the minute he hung up the phone, he just broke down and we drove. I guess what I mean to say is the glimpse that I hope we get this morning is that we were created and called for one another. What else but for one another? Knit together by the Spirit of God. What do you see when you look at each other? When you walk in here Sunday after Sunday, or pass each other on the way out, or greet each other along the way, what do you see? What do you think is going on here? Step back for a moment. The story says that you and I were created in the very image of God. The story says that God, in God's oneness, breathed life into the world so that it would reflect God's image. It's togetherness. It's wholeness. The Hebrew word is it's shalom. You thought that was just peace, but it's so much more than just peace and tranquility. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's fullness that you were created for wholeness and fullness and togetherness in the image of God. That we were created to be in relationship with each other, to bear that image, that likeness, that fullness, that togetherness that oneness. That's how the story goes. The idea that God has given me life so that I might also breathe life, pour life out into you. 
so that you would know life in fullness and that you might give and pour out your life, what the life that God's given you so that I might have fullness and I don't have to hold on to it or hold back or be afraid. I can let loose of my life for you because there's more than enough life from God that we exist for that. And yet here's the deal. Here's the other part of the story is that lo and behold, something creeps into the world that begins to break this thing apart and it manifests itself in all kinds of ways, but perhaps in the most striking, shocking way, it manifests itself when Cain looked over at his brother Abel, and rather than seeing his brother as one to pour life into and receive life from, he saw Abel as threat. And so he reached out and stole life from Abel, didn't he? You can imagine that however you like, but at the heart of it is Abel was jealous because he thought God might approve of Cain's sacrifice more than his. You hear that? That he couldn't believe the truth, Abel, that he is enough, that his sacrifice is enough, that he is loved by God and accepted by God. And because he was insecure and didn't believe that, he stole life in attempting to build up and protect his own life. Are you, are you tracking with me? And I'm telling you, the story matters because while we were created for this to give and receive life unconditionally from each other because God has loved us unconditionally and has approved of us, there's this deep-seated insecurity in us that says it's not enough, and we begin to steal life from each other. It happens with every pointed word that we steal life from someone else, with every careless careless way that we treat and talk about each other, we steal life from each other. You don't have to physically choke the life out of someone or hit them over the head with a rock so that they cease to exist, to steal life from someone. We do it in all kinds of ways. Paul says, lift up your heads and look at what God has done in Jesus that's being worked out in you. This is who you are. You can trust and believe that you are God's beloved. You are enough You are loved, unconditionally loved and accepted. And so you can freely give your life away in love to each other. You can believe it's true. We protect the gift of community. We steward the gift of one another because something greater than ourselves is being manifest in our life together. Here's what I believe. Our deepest desire, our deepest need is to love and be loved unconditionally, no matter what. No matter what's happened, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God says, you are my beloved. And God invites us filled with that love to give it to each other. Our entire lives, we are learning to accept the truth that we are loved in unconditionally. Some of us have a really hard time believing that's true. To believe that we are loved unconditionally and having accepted that truth, we can love each other unconditionally. Paul says, it is the power of God displayed in Jesus being worked out in you. Do you know the impulse of children at a very young age? They come up to you, have you noticed this? They come up to you and say all kinds of silly things and then they watch to see what your reaction is going to be. You're like, where did that come from? Well, it's not about that. It's about your reaction. They, they bring us little things. They make them and they bring them to us and they set them in front of us and then they, they show us and then they look and watch. Why? Well, I think you could have maybe uh, put the wheels on that little car. Uh, you should have aligned them a little bit differently and uh, 
Maybe you could have painted the car red instead of, um, I don't know, four colors of polka dot. Um, we don't say that. We don't say that. We say that's the coolest thing. You know what they're looking for? You know what they're looking for. Approval. Every opportunity from childhood to adulthood is an, is an occasion to live into our first calling, our first responsibility, which is to love unconditionally. It's the essence of life-giving community, and it is our deepest gratitude that God has offered us the gift of one another. Last quote from the book. <clears throat> this one we carry around with each other, and it's really meaningful these days. Where we're walking this journey together, grieving, trying to make sense of life and its suffering and its pain and loss. Quote goes like this about life together and attempt to embody the essence of church. The quote goes Our mission is to be able to say to another person, I love you and I always will. It's as simple as that. And it's as hard as that. I love you and I always will. Let us pray. Oh God, give us a clear vision a glimpse of your glory displayed in the image of Jesus and poured out by your Spirit into us and among us, that we might bear your life and light and love in the world, that we might know the depth of community, that we might seek and cultivate and nurture it over time, knowing that it is only through the passing of time and the experiences of life that, we, that you knit us together in these kinds of ways. So draw us up around your table now, and as we break this bread and share this cup, join us more completely to you and more intentionally to each other, that we might know these words to be true. Our love is not conditional. Your love is not conditional. Our love for each other and for the sake of the world is not conditional. We give you thanks, a deep gratitude for life-giving community. In the name of Jesus, amen.